Blog Talk Radio. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the sweet sound of the intro music to WrestleMania 4. What's going on, everybody? That was Squared Circle Classic, and uh, I'm hoping I got Tommy. Tommy, you on the line? I'm here, man. Can you, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hey, there he is. What's going on, brother? Hey, what man. What's going yeah, on? We, uh, we, uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty getting the show started tonight. Uh, tonight, it's myself uh, and Tommy back together, the tag team. Uh, Jumpin' Jay has stepped away, and so uh, this is my first run as being a host and taking on all the technical duties. So, uh, so bear with us here as we get this figured out, but I think we might be, uh, we might be there. So Tommy, man, you were on vacation last week, brother. How was it? Where'd you go? It was great, man. I went to uh Wildwood, New Jersey, and uh, I've been going there since I was a little kid. Me and my wife and my little daughter went down there. We had a great time. I heard you guys had an awesome episode last week. I listened to it. It was really, really good, really entertaining. I'll tell you what, man, I didn't think that we were going to go on the air. I actually, uh, me, and, me and Matt were the last half hour trying to get the show going, and we were having some big-time technical, uh, technical difficulties to the point where I was just about to uh, – I was just about to post the logo, the 80s wrestling logo, uh, on our Instagram page saying that due to technical difficulties, the show wasn't going to be able to happen tonight. So I'll tell you what, man, I've never been so happy to hear your voice before. <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, <laughs> this was like quick crisis mode trying to figure this out. So I think, uh, you know, just needed a week to kind of get up to speed and figure the program out and uh, get it going. But um, I think uh, – <laughs> think we were able to to hopefully manage this but hey man before we jump into talking all about wrestlemania 4 and again i want to give the call in number for all the folks that we promoted out there too today we appreciate uh your support um and we want to hear from you tonight you know this is uh, your chance to bring that social media conversation to life and you know let that wrestling nerd out for about an hour or so so the number to call in if you want to talk about wrestlemania 4 tonight the number is 323-297-2953 again it's 323- Two nine seven, two nine five three, and I think um, Tommy. Before we get started, um, you know, I think it'd only be appropriate if uh, we recognize the fact that on Friday we lost a legend of the business in uh, Handsome Harley Race, and uh, the man had just an absolutely incredible career, and you know, really jump started the career of uh, guys like um, you know Ric Flair and Tommy Wildfire Rich and you know, was just an instrumental um, figure in the business for, you know, all of the 70s and, and obviously going into the 80s as well. But, um, you know, you being in the Northeast and kind of probably getting a chance to see him a couple times, you know, maybe in uh, in his WWF run, do you have, you know, do you have any memories of uh, of the King Harley race? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, like I've mentioned to you in the past, I, I, being in New Jersey, so close to New York, I was always a WWF kid growing up. But, you know, when Harley was up here for WWF, I got to see him several times live. And probably mm-hmm. the, the, the biggest one was uh, him and Hogan in the Texas death match at Madison Square Garden. I was actually there for that. And that was really, really, really an awesome match. And anyone that hasn't uh, seen that match, I would definitely go to YouTube. I'm not sure if it's on there or not. 
But uh, I would go out of your way to try and find that match. Hogan and Harley Race, the Texas Death Match at Madison Square Garden. It was awesome. But, uh, yeah, man, I, most of my memories of Harley Race uh, is probably from the WWF because growing up, like I said, as a kid, I mean, I obviously I saw all his stuff in recent years, the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But growing up as a kid, uh, you know, I didn't watch NWA that much. So, uh, as a kid, my memories of Harley Race was obviously King Harley Race from the WWF, and uh, uh, one of the most famous memories uh, of him in WWF was his uh, Slammy's uh, brawl, backstage brawl, all over the place with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I remember that fondly as a kid. Yeah, yeah, man, tough guy. Absolutely amazing champion. Could cut a promo. He had like that Jake the Snake kind of real cerebral promo, but, you know, he had that awesome old smoker's voice, you know, coupled with just being a badass from the Midwest. And, um, it, you know, he, he just delivered in such a way. I mean, I, I, the guy could have been like in another career, I could have easily seen him be like a, a sportscaster of some kind because he just kind of had that, that golden voice to, uh, to kind of suck you in. And his promos were just real and intense and kind of just kind of like an old cowboy. So um, anyway, Hey, you know what? I think we've got a handful of uh, callers ready to roll on this thing. So um, I think we're going to, we're going to get started into this. We're talking WrestleMania four tonight. The number to call in is three, two, three, two, nine, seven, two, nine, five, three. You're on here uh, with Matt and Tommy talking about WrestleMania four. Hey, caller. What's going on? Hey, man. What's up? Who's this? Where are you calling from? Am I here? Yeah, you're Uh, on. My name is Nick. I'm calling from a uh, wheat field in Montana, and I grew up right outside of Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, so the the, the Fed was my home territory, and WrestleMania four was the thing that got me into wrestling. Um, Nice. And I know that, like, people hate on it, man. But what better way to get into wrestling when you're eight years old? Because it's like the whole the whole universe reboots, and you kind of get to watch it, watch wrestling, like from square one, you know, because you see the whole story unfold over the course of a of a, of a Sunday afternoon, and um, you know that that was the thing that that hooked me, and then like, you know, years and years later, I I got um. Ted DiBiase's email and asked him about the whole angle where, where he was supposed to win. Cause that's one of the, you know, the, 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 the lore about that is that he was originally meant to win. Savage was going to get the intercontinental title back and he was going to win the tournament. And like, I can't, I like, I can't wrap my head around what that would have been like at eight years old, sitting through that all day only to have, you know, the most, despicable villain at that time because it was like he wasn't just it wasn't just that he was a rule breaker it was like when you're you know a working class kid from some 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 poor little town he's you know everything that you hate and so I don't know that I would have got into wrestling you know had he he won at the end of the day but that was the that was the thing that you know, hooked me. And after that, it was like, I would watch, you know, any wrestling I could get my hands on. That's awesome, Nick. That's, that's a really good, uh, it's really cool to even hear you say that. If DiBiase would have won, if you would even, uh, continued watching it. So so was WrestleMania four your first big event that you actually watched them? 
So, like, I was aware of, like, I wasn't supposed to watch wrestling, I think, because of the violence. Um, and I, like, my neighbor got WrestleMania three, and I, like, I wasn't into it. You know, like, it was, it was, it was too, because I wasn't a sports kid. You know, like, I never liked sports when I was a kid. I never liked real sports. I liked, you know, I liked being sports entertained. But I did not, I did not like real sports. But this was the thing that, that, that hooked me. And to me, it's like, it's set up so well. Because you've got that battle royal at the beginning. That's awesome. You know, that they start that, they start the slow turn of the Heart Foundation there. Um, which is all, you know, you, a great way to kind of like get introduced to the, to the, the the lower card, and then you've got this tournament that introduces you to all of the, you know, the 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 championship talent at that time. You got the the tag team match is great, um, and then that six that weird six man match in the middle of it all, and you you get to like you know introduce yourself to all of these characters. And that being said, like Ted DiBiase is a top five for me as an adult who can appreciate, you know, first of all. Uh, he's an amazing worker. Like he's just who sells like Ted DiBiase without overselling. I mean, he's like to me, Ted DiBiase selling is what is like what Shawn Michaels thinks he is selling. You know, it's like it's 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 big, but it's not so over the top that it's that it's like cartoonish. And also, man, when I look back, it's like that ability to make him hate you. The way that he could make him—I can't think of anybody other than like Flair, who was able to really. Because I would, I unlike you, uh, my mom came in one Saturday, and, uh, you know, at six oh five, and was like, "Nick, there's wrestling on," and I turn it on. I'm like, "What is this?" But I was, I was hooked. Like that was NWA was. I got way into that. But man, did I hate Ric Flair, um, and yeah, I can't well, think hey, of anyone else. Let me else jump that, in there, man, because like. You're, you're yeah. dead on with, with talk about DiBiase. I mean, DiBiase, like Flair, and, you know, even a guy like Harley Race, um, Arn Anderson, the reason, one of the things that makes those yep. guys so great, not only were they great technical wrestlers, uh, but those guys, when they would cut a promo and when they were in character, were absolutely 110% believable. Like, everything about them oozed heel. And, you know, to me, that's what separates – uh, the the greats from from everyone else. Hey man, want to thank you for the call tonight. We gotta we gotta move on because we've got some more calls to get to. But again, I think that's rad that uh, you know you grew up on the East Coast. Now you're living in Montana, um, and uh, a great '80s fan. That WrestleMania four is what sucked you in. So thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey Nick, call, Nick, call back again. Nick, call back in next week. We we enjoyed your call. Yes. Yeah, we've got uh, great. I'll talk to you guys. All right. Thanks, Nick. Take care, man. Yep. All right. We're moving on to our next caller. What's up, man? You're on with Matt and Tommy here talking WrestleMania 4. Hello. Hello. Who's hey, this? Hey, guys. This is uh, Jason calling from Detroit. Jason Jacob from Detroit. What's Detroit? going on, man? Welcome to How you doing? How you doing, man? Wrestling Radio. Thank you for having me, man. I just had to tell you my WrestleMania 4 experience. And it was yeah, the man. first time I... Well, I have to say, I never was able to order pay-per-view back then because Detroit didn't have cable yet. So I had to wait four months to rent the tape, the double tape VHS. And uh, it was an amazing pay-per-view, man. Even though we didn't see it actual live, but it was great watching it on VHS. 
because we, we planned our whole day around it. And the thing that got me with WrestleMania 4 was the ring mat. It was the best sounding ring mat of, of all WrestleManias to me. If you listen to the, the impact of that ring, it, it got me hooked right there. And I loved every match really? from the Battle Royal. Awesome. Go back yes. and listen to that. Are you seeing like the sound of the canvas was like, awesome. Oh, oh, it was awesome. Like a it, was a, it was nice. It echoes through the, the, the Trump Plaza. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's what got convention. me in the in, in that convention center was awesome. The convention center yeah. from the, hmm. the light-up ceiling. Did you, did you guys notice the light-up ceiling, the circus-like light-up ceiling? Absolutely. It was like that whole event was yeah. planned perfect for me. I, I mean, a you know, steamboat. Another, you know, another, another thing that was really cool about that is that the entranceway was so simple, yet it was so cool-looking. Like nowadays, you see these it, big, it, it was different. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm gonna tell you what, <laughs> what it felt like for me. To me, oh, go ahead. What was go your ahead, favorite ahead. match from WrestleMania Four, by the way? You know what? I like them. It was, it was hard to choose because I, I really like Steamboat and Greg Valentine. They put on. It was short, but it was classic. The way the hammer was taking those bumps, man. The way he falls slow, he fell on his face. Those chops they was giving each other. It was just. It was. It was amazing. I like Butchery the Savage. I, I like that one. Even though Butchery was kind of dominated at the end, in the beginning, I love the way the comeback for Savage. Uh, Demolition and Strike Force was definitely a great match as well. Hogan and Andre was good as well. They, those chair shots was awesome, man. The way Andre hit Hogan with that chair shot, it, it looked it was believable. Everything, man, I, man, it was just a great pay per view. Um, I like DiBiase. Oh, I like the Hammer and Savage as well. That was a great match. And I noticed something yeah. about WrestleMania 4 with Savage. He took a lot of punishment. And that he, he really was getting punished. He was really a babyface in, in WrestleMania 4. He took lots of punishment. And he, he came back, man, and won a belt. It was great. You know, I was rooting for Hogan. But Savage, man, he, he did his thing for, for WrestleMania 4. And, yeah, I mean, and I love all the interviews with Bob Eucher. That was Savage's big turn and he was uh, he was off and running to the uh, to the races after that. Well, hey man, that was a great memory. I'm gonna have to go back and check out that WrestleMania four on the audio to see what you're talking about because I've never yeah, heard anyone say sound. the audio was awesome on the uh, on on the bumps and stuff. But I'll uh, I'll go take a look at that. Hey Nathan from Detroit, man, really appreciate the call. Uh, we are moving on to our next caller. Caller, what's up? Thanks for holding. You've been on hold here for about ten minutes. What's your name and where are you calling from, man? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Hey, man, you're live. Hey, uh, man, Tommy. Talk uh, okay. about before. What's uh, up? How you doing? How you doing? I'm Patrick from Baltimore, that? Maryland. I was calling Patrick today from WrestleMania. Yes, Patrick from Baltimore. WrestleMania 4, so, to me, I think is the second best WrestleMania of all time. I know it gets a lot of bad uh, shots taken at it, but, uh, I mean, I've always said that to me, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, the best broadcast team ever. Uh, Bob Uecker yep. added to it. Great entrance coming down the stairs. Great matches all the way through. Uh, who didn't love Miss Elizabeth, especially in the end in the white dress? You know, uh, great, great action. Best battle royal ever. Probably the 14 best guys they could pick for the tournament. Even Andre. Andre looked a little rough, but Andre still with Andre and you know put on a good show. And like I said, DiBiase, a great, great heel character. Macho Man wrestling four times. Classic Savage. All around, WrestleMania three is still the best, but that whole span of 1987 to 93 was the best. But to me, four gets a bad rap, but I think it was pretty damn entertaining. 
Patrick, how how old are you? I am thirty nine. Uh, so you're in that same you're in that same age bracket as as me and uh, Matt. Then I mean we can we can all just sit back and appreciate. You know, these, these days, those years you just said, I know me and Matt really, really, uh, that's like the the golden years, the glory years, whatever you want to call it. Hey, one thing I want to say, uh, and one thing I want to say while well, I have you on the phone, and, and also Matt, because I'm, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of calls, and I just want to bring this up. How cool was it that Macho Man had four different robes and Elizabeth had Absolutely. four different outfits? That was really, Absolutely. really cool, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was great. I have to say, too, you know, I know it's classic 80s wrestling, but I got to say, I get a lot of heat for this, too. I'm just going to say it real quick. To me, Benoit, Hall of Fame, but that's another story for another time. But, yeah, Mania 4 was outstanding. Yes, it was. It definitely was. Oh, Patrick, man, thanks for uh, thanks for chiming in with right there on uh, on the 80s wrestling radio with Matt and Tommy. Um, man, Tommy, right out of the gate, just boom, boom, boom. That's called uh, – so yeah, just to, to kind of reset everything, man. Um, this was uh, this was a WrestleMania, obviously that that I think gets shit on by a lot of critics, um, and you know I think it's it it definitely has some flaws, but it was a pretty important and crucial WrestleMania. I mean, a lot of huge storylines both going into it as well huge. as coming out of it, and I think the stage that they created was so different and unique, you know. You go from WrestleMania three being, you know, setting all these indoor attendance records, ninety three plus thousand people, huge spectacle. To now you're going into um, what was I like the building, and maybe you can speak to it. I mean, that's kind of in your backyard, but from everything I heard about the convention center there um, in Atlantic City, that you know it was pretty dumpy, and you know they had to the WWE had to go in there and do a lot of work just to kind of get it looking presentable, you know, um, they were talking about kind of the lights on the ceiling and kind of building that a whole effect. And, you know, that entrance was so wonky where like guys, you know, they had to come down steps, but the whole thing was kind of at a, at a slope. It's kind of like Clemson football's entrance. And, uh, you know, I kept thinking a guy like Andre guy, what if like one wrong trip over like a cable or something, <laughs> he'd go down or like ultimate warrior, and his, his uh, traditional running out. Like it was a little bit of an awkward uh, entrance, but you know, the whole idea behind getting that, I guess, is, you know, Trump was going to give them uh, a lot of concessions in terms of housing them. And, you know, it saved them a lot of money on overhead and uh, it was kind of close to the home base in the Northeast. Um, but they kind of wanted to also capture that casino, that HBO big fight feel. So, you know, everything kind of had a little bit more of a glitz and glamour look to it. But just, I guess, before we talk maybe a little bit more about some of the the matches and storylines going into that, I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts, Tommy, on, like, what do you kind of, like, what's your takeaway, like, on, like, why, why, you know, was that a good spot, like, the the aesthetics of the whole thing, like, what was your kind of whole take on, on the look and feel of WrestleMania 4? Well, I think, I think people are crazy if they shit on it and think it was a bad WrestleMania. It's actually one of my favorite WrestleManias, and like you said, it, it was such a huge, huge, huge critical time for the WWF at that time. And, and I, I like the fact that it was at the convention uh, hall and it is a, it is a, uh, if, I've been there live before and it is, uh, it, it did make it look a lot better than it does in person because it, it is uh, an old school, you know, gritty kind of establishment. And I, I love those stairs. I said that on the last call. I love those stairs and how they walk down it. And 
and, and you're right. You you hit the nail on the head, Matt. You're saying that it gave it that big that big fight feel, like a, like a boxing card or something like that. Uh, I, I thought WrestleMania four was great, man, and I, I think that uh, I think that if people are shitting on it and people are saying that it wasn't one of the better WrestleManias, that these people have no idea what they're talking about. Because one of the most iconic moments in the history of professional wrestling is when Randy Savage captured the WWF World Heavyweight Title and held Elizabeth on his shoulder. Uh, anyone that says that that wasn't uh, one of the biggest moments in the history of professional wrestling absolutely has no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, and I, I do think like a lot of the criticism comes in the tournament and just the overall match quality uh, because there are some, some serious duds throughout all of it. But I think, you know, in its totality, when you look at the major storylines throughout um, and the key moments, I, for me, you know, you know, no pun intended, it definitely trumps all of the, the, um, the lousy stuff because I, I do get where the criticism kind of comes from. Um, but, uh, but I love this WrestleMania. I mean, I, again, I'm a big aesthetics guy, so I, I love things like the, um, you know, the backstage, uh, curtain that they created, which was kind of, a the, the map of the world, but it was all kind of in that kind of eighties slanted fun. And, um, you know, that's where they interviewed everyone backstage. I thought that was like really cool. Obviously, you know, uh, gorilla and Jesse's commentary is just absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, everything about it. And I, to me, I mean, back then I didn't care about the venue. You know, I think like obviously the, the um, Pontiac Silverdome was, was pretty epic seeing all that, that huge sea of humanity. But, uh, but you know, I, I kind of like maybe a little bit more of a, a smaller venue. Like nowadays, whenever they do WrestleMania, it seems like so often now they're doing stadiums. And for me, like, you know, it just seems like it kind of, it kind of loses, even though it's a ton of people, you know, it's one thing, I think, maybe if it was like a rock concert, but like these things, because it's a spectacle that really is visual versus audio, um, you know, it, I kind of like maybe a, like a little bit of smaller atmosphere. So for me, I thought the venue um, worked. I thought it was really cool because I, I saw something this week when I was, you know, going back and looking at the show about what that building kind of looked like when it was, you know, just naked on its own. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you don't you don't expect you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Your eyes play tricks on you because you're like, damn, you know what they were able to uh, convert it into. So, uh, yeah. yeah, man. So let's talk about uh, the tourney. Sure. We're going hey, real, real quick. Real, real quick. Yo. I just want to say, I was, I'm sorry, but I just want to say real quick. I was actually at, I want to, this is something else you were right on that is I was actually at this past year's WrestleMania in New Jersey and there was over eighty thousand people there, and man, it, it just—it's too many people. It's it just like you see a sea of people in this little teeny ring, and it—and you can't even really see the guys because they're so far away. It, it just really takes away the importance. I mean, it's, when you watch it on pay-per-view, yeah, I mean, wow, look at this! Look at this visual. There's eighty thousand people there, and it's this huge spectacle. But if you're there live watching it, I wish that I was at home watching it. So it might look cool on TV, but if they're alive, it's so much different. So much different being their lives. Yeah. Yeah, and now they build they have like scaffolds and, and LED stuff all above the ring. So you know in some vantage points, it's got to hamper the view a little bit too. But, um, yeah, let's give the call-in number. Um, 
folks, we want to hear from you. Those out there that are listening, we're talking about WrestleMania 4 here. You're with Matt from Square Circle Classics and Tommy from 80s Wrestling. The number to call in is 323-927-2953. Again, the number is 323-297-2953. All right. So, 1988, last week we talked about uh, the Million Dollar Man and kind of a lot of his setup, and obviously the the main event match between Andre and Hogan, which obviously led to the the vacancy of the title and setting up the tournament. Um, I'm curious, Tommy, before we get back to the phones here, you know, what's what's just your overall take of the tournament? Do you think they had the right guys in it? Um, Are there any guys that uh, you thought maybe shouldn't have been in it or guys that you would have liked to have seen in it? I mean, I think I think it was good for what it was. If you, I mean, if you look at the rest of the the lineup and guys that were in different matches, you know, you had Warrior and, and Hercules against each other. That was actually Warrior's debut match uh, for WrestleMania and for pay per view. And I mean, you could have made a a case that Hercules could have been in that tournament. Um, the Battle Royal. Um, I'm, look, I'm looking through the people in the Battle Royal right now. Uh, anyone that stands out to be in that title tournament, um, looking at the lineup, not really. I mean, jumped on a dog, but he wasn't really doing much at that time. So, I mean, I guess the guys for who they were uh, in there was okay. Uh, I, I know the myth they talked about earlier that Teddy Biasi was originally supposed to win uh, that title, uh, and it, something happened last second where back in February the month before, uh, Hunky went and dropped the title, the Macho Man, the Arcanel title, and then they had to switch things up. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I do know that's true is that shortly after they announced the uh, the tournament and they they showed the brackets for the first time on WWF TV, the placement of the brackets were actually different. Um, I'm not sure if you knew mm-hmm. that or not. Um, Jake Roberts and Rick Rude, originally that match would, was going to face the winner of the Don Morocco Dino Bravo match and the Bam Bam Bigelow one man gang match. The winner of that match was going to take on the winner of the Teddy Biasi Hacksaw Jim Duggan match. And that was the original graphics shown on uh, WWE programming. I believe if you Google it, an image will come up of that. And I, it got switched obviously. And I'm wondering if the reason it got switched is because, uh, Biasi was first laid at the win and then they, they switched it to Savage. Did you ever hear anything about that? No, you know, honestly, it's it's kind of funny. I think, like, there's a lot of uh, rumor and innuendo out there uh, as to the whole was DiBiase slated to win. And um, from everything I, I, that I've heard is that Savage was the guy that they were choosing to go with, which is why they kind of decided back in um, October, November, back in those Saturday Night's main events, the formation of the Mega Powers, they had already handpicked, you know, Hulk, Hulk had already asked for that time off in 88 to go make um, No Holds Barred, and they were going to grant that. And so I think, you know, getting him with Savage early for about a good four or five months prior um, was kind of getting not only that, that build, that face turn for him, but, you know, getting getting Hogan to rub off on, on uh, Savage and elevating him because they knew that he was going to be the guy. And I, I – um, from what I heard is that Pat Patterson actually went to DiBiase and told that, told him that, look, you know, you're going to be a central figure throughout this storyline. We're not putting the belt on you because, um, you know, we're going to continue this 
this this your your kind of hunt and your frustration about not being the champion, which is going to lead to you then going and creating your own belt. And you know, DiBiase just loved that idea because again, when we touched a little bit on it in an episode last week on DiBiase, is that no wrestler in history has ever been able to just create a belt that lived on in storylines for several years. And so, you know, DiBiase's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. It fits within the character. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I'd, I'd heard, I'd thought some other brackets before, but I, I, you know, I was never quite confident that DiBiase was, was really ever um, going to win that. But, uh, but I mean, I think we got the ending that we all wanted, you know, um, that match between oh, yeah. Savage and DiBiase was was just absolutely uh I mean I wouldn't call it like a super classic but it's iconic right because you know for those of us in oh, Macho yeah. Man's my favorite of all time so you know to see him win the belt in that fashion was was awesome <laughs> it was kind of funny though that they it, the, they resorted to Hogan you know with the heel tactic of coming in with the chair shot on DiBiase because you think that, that would like go against everything that you know Hulkamania sure. would be about then you think about like you know, Hogan got screwed over by him, you know, the month before on the on the main event thing that like that was kind of his revenge and his retribution. So it kind of made sense a little bit. Hey, we got another call, Tommy. Um, we are going out to the phone lines again. Hey, what's going on, man? You were live with Matt and Tommy here talking about WrestleMania four. Hello. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Hey, hey man, who's this? this? Jamie. This is Jamie from. Cleveland, Ohio. Jamie from Jamie Cleveland, from Ohio. Ohio. Welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. What's going on, man? Not much. Hey, 46 years old here. So I, that was my third WrestleMania that I had seen up to that point. And ironically, my former kindergarten teacher um, used to have the WrestleManias at her house. And I remember back in the day, of recording those things on pay-per-view, taking them to school and making tons of cash off of those tapes. Did that with WrestleMania three, did it with two, did it with four, all the way up through six. But I wanted to get to the tournament. <laughs> hey, Jamie, real quick, he had to make his money back somehow because the tapes were like $80 back then. I would oh make over a hundred bucks. I would Kill take me. that thing the day after school and I had a waiting list of kids that just wanted that oh. tape. And, of course, I was That's smart awesome. enough not to just have one copy. I had two VCRs, so I was able to dub it like that night and then go with my copy with me to school and keep the original with me back here at home because knowingly some of my friends would probably just take the tape and destroy it or take it and do something with it. But anyways, I wanted to talk about the tournament. And one thing that I found quite interesting and this is one of those like fantasy booking things. What if they would have put Steamboat through all the way to the finals against Savage? And I know at the time they weren't into face versus face matches, but that would have been, I think, an epic match if they could have somehow finagled that tournament and go through all the things with DiBiase, Andre, and Hogan, but somehow squeak Saturn, squeak Steamboat all the way to the finals. I wanted your thoughts on awesome. that. I think it would be awesome. And real quick, I'll let let, uh, let Matt give his thoughts. I, I was going to say, I found it really weird and odd that Steamboat lost in the first round to Greg Valentine, considering the year prior he was in such a WrestleMania epic classic match against Savage. I'm not sure if that's because that leave he took 
right after he won the Intercontinental right. title. But I, I found I found it weird that he lost in the first round to uh, to Valentine. But yeah, I mean Savage Steamboat in the finals of the tournament after their match the year before would have been absolutely epic. What's your take, Matt? So this is a really, really juicy topic, and man, I'm so happy you brought this up because I think it's it definitely deserves discussion. So, you know, I I know why they didn't go with Steamboat. I'm pretty confident in knowing why is that the Savage was going to be tab the guy, and they were trying real hard to make him face. And you know, I got to be honest, I think Savage as a face at this time was still a bit of a struggle because he was such a heel. And he was so awesome as an intercontinental champion as a heel um, that, you know, they had to do a lot of work in putting him over. And if you put him with Steamboat in the second round, that really goes against a lot of what you're trying to accomplish with making Savage the good guy. So I, I think that's kind of like the open and shut case why they didn't do it. However, what I think is really interesting is nowadays, um, if they were to do that, like over the last say 20 years, probably since the attitude era, I think you could have seen that because, you know, to your point, the WrestleMania three match was absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, to be able to get to something like that again, from a, just a sheer wrestling perspective would have been fantastic. And I think we would have seen that, um, you know, definitely uh, this era where they've kind of like let the, the lines blur, uh, Good guys versus bad. So, right. Anyway, that's, that's kind of my take on it. I think I think modern era, you could have seen something like that, but I I think back then it was so it was so heel versus face. And you can't make Steamboat a heel. There's just no way he never he was never a heel ever. So and with of course the direction they were going with Savage at the time, to have him go back to heel would have not made sense, especially with Hogan taking the hiatus to do no holds barred in the summer and having Savage be the top guy in the, in the company wouldn't have made sense. But just think about if they would have put that match on last, they could have had as much time as they needed to close out WrestleMania. It could have made the match, you know, as if, as better, if not better than three, but still nothing compares to three. That match was just beyond years as far as wrestling ability and storyline goes. It was just an amazing and one of their best storylines they ever had. I'll tell you what, man, fantasy booking wise, that's awesome. That's that's awesome yeah. fantasy booking right there. Uh obviously it made sense going with Savage and DiBiase, but what if the what if scenario? Yeah man, that would have been awesome. Hey, uh, thank you so much for calling in man and definitely call back next week. We're live this time every Monday night. We'd love to hear from you again because you're a real good caller. Thank you. Have a good night, guys. You too. Thanks, you too. Okay, that opens up the phone lines. If you want to give uh, Matt and Tommy a call, we're talking about WrestleMania 4. The number to call is 323-297-2953. So, all right. What the so world Tommy, is got watching. Other, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> other than the tourney, I think one of the the key things to chat about with WrestleMania four is the uh, the battle royal that kind of kicked off the show. Um, Definitely, obviously, man. we got Ben Brown coming out on top, but uh, you know, what were your what was your overall take on on how that finished with him and Brett kind of looking like they were teaming up, 
and then he turns on him and then Brett obviously destroys the trophy, which I think is just absolutely hilarious. But um, I've got a few takes on this, but I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on, you know, that battle Royal and, you know, bad news Brown winning it. Sure. Uh, Obviously it was the seed that planet, the huge uh, Bret Hart, uh, babyface turn, and he went on to be one of the biggest stars in the history of the WWF. So it's an absolutely monumental, epic moment. Uh, that tournament, I mean, that battle royal, just for the fact that it switched Bret Hart over uh, to a babyface, and uh, it was the start that catapulted him to be one of the greatest WWF superstars of all time. So <clears throat> for that point alone, this battle royal is extremely, extremely important. Um, Good. I think it was a good choice. Bad News Brown at the time they were building him up. Uh, I, I think that was good that he won that. Uh, Surprised he didn't go further. Bad News Brown and we could talk about him in a second if you want. I know that they briefly did him and Hogan, but uh, I, I thought Bad News Brown would actually have been a little bit bigger in the WWF, and he was on the path uh, to, to to being so. So uh, this was a good way to catapult him to the next level, which I assuming that was the plan for them at the time to do for him winning that. So for that, uh, for that point alone and for the Brett, uh, baby face turn. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it was a really, 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 really crucial part of his career. And, uh, it, it was interesting to see some of the other names in this battle royal, like, uh, just for like interesting facts. Uh, who would ever thought that Jim Powers or Paul Roma was in a WrestleMania or Sam Houston was in a WrestleMania and uh, this is some interesting names in this, you know, the Killer Bees, uh, the Bolsheviks, Nightheart, Danny Davis, George Steele, Harley Race was in that battle royal, uh, Hillbilly Jim, JYD, Kempatera, Ron Bass, uh, Sika, and the fabulous Rougeau brothers. So some interesting 80s names mixed in there. Uh, I actually uh, like to go back and watch this battle royal, and I I I, I didn't watch this uh, pay-per-view uh, prior to this show, but I'd like to go back just to watch it for this Battle Royal alone. Well, on my Instagram page, I actually went and did a live uh, feed here right before the show, about an hour before the show, where I just did the Battle Royal. So if you want to catch it, you could actually go into my page oh, nice. at Squared Circle Class uh, and check that out, because I, I played the whole thing. And, you know, what's what's really interesting, I think, from it is that they made, they gave Brett kind of that face turn but they didn't do anything with it as a singles competitor at the time. Um, you know, him and him and bad news. I mean, that was supposed to be a feud and, and it kind of did, but it didn't really kind of fizzled out. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've kind of gone on record in the past saying, I think bad news Brown is the most underrated heel from the golden era in WWF. You know, he could have been significantly more. I, I think he would have been a really good choice for uh, an intercontinental championship run because he was such a bad guy. You hated him that, you know, he's, he's, he's the kind of guy that like a face could always be uh, in the hunt to challenge. And I thought, you know, he didn't necessarily need to have a long run, but I think he could have had a very successful run. But again, you know, the talent pool started to really get thick and stack up, um, you know, with where they were going with, with the storyline. So I kind of get, you know, I kind of understand where he kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but, you know, going back to Brett and that face turn, he just, they didn't really do anything with him as a singles, which was crazy because they knew he was extremely talented. Vince already knew this. 
And, you know, they were already saying that, um, that, that he was starting to get a lot of fan mail. And so, you know, and just like what, four or five months prior, they gave him that big spotlight match on Saturday night's main event against Savage. Um, you know, and so you're kind of thinking, all right, this is Brett's coming out party after, you know, he loses this, but he destroys the trophy um, and, you know, kind of has the final say on that battle royal. You thought like maybe that was going to catapult his singles career, but what it does is it just basically turns Neidhart face as well. And the team becomes a face and uh, they could just go right back into the tag division. And, you know, it's really interesting to me that, 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 that they kept teasing Brett's singles run in late 87. And then obviously after this WrestleMania, but you know, he would only really seem to do it every now and then very sparingly, but it was still all about the heart foundation for about another, you know, three years after this. Yeah, I think they were just like I said. I think they were just planting the seed. I think they, they, I think that they had plans for Bret Hart. They just wanted to, you know, test the waters on it a little bit. That's what I think. I mean, I know that they stayed together for a while after that, but I, I definitely think that at that time they they might have had hopes for him in the future. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Tommy, let's give out the the call in number then for for anyone out there that might be listening that wants to call in and chat about WrestleMania four. The number is three two three two nine seven. Two nine five three. Again, the number is three two three two nine seven two nine five three. Want to hear some interesting mean, facts I have about WrestleMania four? Oh, you you uh, you came with a uh, with prepared with factoids. Okay, sure. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, man. I I know that you I know that you always do your homework, man. So you're gonna like you're pushing me to do mine now. So I, I know that you're like a freaking walking encyclopedia when it comes to to wrestling, so uh, I don't, did a little that, homework don't on this. Give me that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that Greg Valentine uh, was the first wrestler at this WrestleMania to compete in three different championship title matches? Uh, WrestleMania one, obviously, he was the Intercontinental Champion against Junkyard Dogs. WrestleMania two for the tag titles against the British Bulldogs, and at WrestleMania four, he was involved in the World Heavyweight Title Tournament. So he was the first wrestler in the history of WWF to uh, challenge for three different titles in a WrestleMania. I did know that one. Um, I was actually going to bring that one up, and I I have to admit that um, I did learn that by uh, from Conrad Thompson on something to wrestle with. They brought that up. Um, during one of their shows that, that, that Valentine was the first guy to do that. So I think that's pretty cool because, you know, Valentine is another one of those guys, I think, that flies under the radar when you talk about some of the all-time, you know, awesome, great wrestlers. I mean, his persona was just, just a straight-up tough guy. He was just all grit, and there was nothing flashy about him, even though, you know, early on in his career he was into wearing the robes, and he kind of lost that, twi- I think, towards the late 80s. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that guy was, was, was a tough dude. And I think that that's kind of a cool stat for him. And, and, and another one, check this out. Cause you know, back then the early WrestleManias, they would always broadcast them live on closed circuit throughout, you know, different arenas and, and venues across the United States. WrestleMania four was actually, and, and before I say this, obviously everyone knows that they, the NWA actually aired Clash of the Champions with Ric Flair against Sting at the same time mm-hmm. on free television against WrestleMania 4. And uh, what I, this is a really interesting fact, is that uh, the Omni in Atlanta actually broadcasted WrestleMania 4 on closed-circuit TV 
which is mind-boggling if you think about it, because that's right in the NWA's backyard. That would be equivalent to Madison Square Garden, you know, doing closed circuit for Starcade during uh, WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really, really odd fact. Yeah, it's kind of like what New Japan uh, wrestling has been doing lately by booking um, some of their big shows in Madison Square Garden. But uh, but yeah, you know what's kind of funny is you bring you bring up uh, Clash of the Champions. I would I that's what I watched. I actually I didn't get the paper I didn't get the WrestleMania pay per view um, then. So I actually oh, watched wow. Champions live, um, which did a killer number um, on 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 TBS. Or I guess back in those days it was WTBS, but yeah, Sting and Flair, um, that was a great match. I think it went around 45 minutes, and um, you know it was kind of Sting's coming out party to being like a top star in that promotion. So um, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty smart on their part because you know that was back in the day when Vince McMahon was kind of strong arming a lot of the the cable companies, telling them that you know if you don't because uh, you, you had you had Starcade and you had um, yeah, I think it was what Starcade that 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 the NWA put up against the WWF Survivor Series, and so when they launched that, when they launched Survivor Series, Vince was basically strong arming a lot of the cable companies, saying, "Look, if you don't take if if you if you take Starcade over Survivor Series, you don't get WrestleMania." And so yeah. a lot of the cable companies bowed down to him on that and said, "All right, you know," and that's why. You know, um, the uh, the Jim Crockett and those guys had to put it on uh, free TV, but you know, it it did work for them in their favor. So sure, that was that was a really was solid pay per view as well. This was actually their first. This was actually their mm-hmm. first Clash of the Champions as well. If you, if you go back and watch that, it was a really good show as well. Uh, that show actually had yep. Jimmy Valiant uh, against Mike Rotundo. It had Midnight Express against. Fantastics. It had uh, the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes versus the Powers of Pain and Ivan Koloff in a barbed wire uh, rope match, which was sick. Uh, they had Luger and Wyndham against Anderson and Tully Blanchard, and obviously Sting and Flair. So, I mean, that's a really epic uh, show as well, especially considering it went up live against WrestleMania 4 on, on free broadcast TV. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You got some more factoids? Uh, yeah, other than I think you're a handsome son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I got, man. (laughs) That's all I got. Oh, yeah, I guess an easy one. I'm sure everyone knows Peggy Sue uh, was Sensational Sherry uh, in Honky Tonk Man's Corner. Let's talk about that match, man. Honky Tonk Man against Brutus Beefcake. That's an odd match because going into that, I think that everyone thought that Brutus Beefcake was going to win the Intercontinental title, and he didn't. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely feel that was the way that was going to go down. I mean, I think by that time, Honky Tonk Man had already been the champion since uh, uh, well, almost a year. So I think he he won it from Steamboat in June '87, um, and then um, you know here we are in what March, late March of of '88. So yeah, and I think you know the barber gimmick was just absolutely on fire at this point. Um, it had been going now for you know since almost the last WrestleMania. And it was in it was in full season. I think I don't think Bruce Beefcake had ever been hotter than than '88. And um, you know, obviously he, he gets a bigger push in '89 as kind of Hogan's main crony. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, I mean, I I thought he was going to win, and he did win. I mean, he won the match by disqualification. 
Um, and uh, I, you know, it kind of sucks because <laughs> he has he's got the sleeper hold on Honky right in the middle of the ring, nowhere to go. And the the they basically booked it for Jimmy Hart to just come up on the apron and um, you know whack the ref in the head with the microphone or in the megaphone, which you know theoretically um, you know disqualified Honky Tonk Man, but. I guess, you know, we, he gets his come up because Jimmy Hart gets a little bit of his hair chopped off on top. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was – I, I, one of the questions I think would be kind of interesting to pose is, I mean, would you have liked – I mean, as a kid, I know the answer would have been yes, but looking back now as an adult, I kind of wonder, I don't know. But, I mean, what do you say? Do you think you would have liked to have seen, you know, Honky lose a strap to, to Brutus? Because if, you, if that happens – then everything that you're now kind of building and setting up for uh, the Ultimate Warrior a few months later for SummerSlam, that would all get kind of like thrown on the back burner because now, you know, Warrior makes this huge big rise in a few months, and they put the strap on him at SummerSlam 88. But you couldn't do that if Beefcake held the title because that would go against everything that they believe in when face-to-face. So, you know, if you were to put it on Beefcake, now you're talking about bringing the Bad News Browns into the whole thing. And, uh, you know, a Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, those are the kind of guys that could have maybe come in and, and feuded with Beefcake. But um, I don't know, man. I, 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 that's a, we talk about fantasy booking. That's, that's an interesting one. What do you think? You, do you like Honky taking it all the way to SummerSlam and then losing to Warrior in the fashion he did? And then Warrior obviously went on to his meteoric rise. Um, or do you think that was an opportunity for Beefcake to take it and then, you know, maybe get into a program with, say, like a, a Bad News? Or, you know, at that point, Rude. Rude was in the mix, too. You know, you could have you could have looked at Rude, even though he did get it a little bit later. Matt, let me tell you something, man. I don't want to even – sometimes when you're talking, I, just, I don't want to even chime in just because I'm enjoying listening to you talk wrestling. Honestly, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm, I'm trying to make you laugh or make you feel good. Honestly, uh, everything you just said made so much sense. And, and to answer it – uh, if you were if you were to go back in time, if you were doing it right at WrestleMania four, uh, Brutus was definitely hotter than Warrior at that time at, at WrestleMania four. Uh, I would have given it to Beefcake. Beefcake was you know a red hot babyface. Finally, he got his due this year, going into the Hall of Fame, and uh, he was a big, big, big part of eighties WWF. No question about it. However, if you fast forward to SummerSlam. Uh, the, 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 the dynamic changes completely. Warrior had taken off in those few months. He definitely, his his stock rose big time. So looking back on it, I think they made the right choice because Warrior getting the Intercontinental title and the way that he did against Hockey Tuck Man at SummerSlam really, 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 really catapulted him uh, to the next level, uh, making him a main event guy. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that BP should have won the title. But if you look at it in retrospect, they made the right choice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I think so, too. And, you know, I, the more I've kind of gone back and watched some old-school WWF, I think I've gained more of an appreciation for the honky-tonk man. Um, you know, as a kid, I couldn't stand him, and that's exactly what they wanted. And I look back, and, and over the years, I always kind of thought, uh, you know, he seems like a little bit of a clown. Like, I've watched a lot of his shoot interviews and – you know, he's just kind of been all over the place with, with kind of dumping on guys. But, you know, I look back and, I, like, he he was just a heat-seeking machine, you know. I mean, just just like DiBiase took that took his million-dollar gimmick and just absolutely made it feel real, Honky Tonk Man was this guy. <laughs> like, you look at that. I mean, that's, he's another guy that just is, one, just a great natural heel. 
but could just bring such great heat. And I think, you know, when you've kind of got that magic, you got to ride it. And I, I, the old adage in wrestling oftentimes has been, you know, for that kind of secondary champion, you know, to be able to have a really solid heel is great because you want to see him fail. So you want to see the top baby faces chasing that guy to try to bring him down. That's what draws money and puts people in the seats. And so, you know, I, yeah, as much as the, the overall gimmick can get really annoying, um, I got to appreciate it because, you know, it's, it's pretty artful overall. And, um, you know, I, I think it's great. You know, you fast forward to SummerSlam and the, the manner in which they kind of brought Warrior out and had him squash him. I thought, you know, that was, Again, that was a that was like a years plus build up of like wanting to see this guy lose the belt, and doing it in such dramatic fashion was was kind of a uh, an awesome way to do it. So I can't fault them for it. But you know, I look back and you know, Brutus, it would have been I I think it would have been cool to see see him have a have a quick run with uh, with the IC belt. But you know, c'est la vie. So hey, next match we got to talk about, man. Um, how about demolition? Only in the company – well, no, I guess they're in the company now for just a year, just uh, under a year. They they came in right after WrestleMania three. I'm going to say it was like the summer of 87 uh, is when they debuted. Um, man, 87 was such a huge year. We had Rude. Uh, we had Bam Bam Bigelow. We had Demolition. Um, and we had DiBiase all debut in the WWF in 1987. So – Fast forward, their very first WrestleMania, they're in the company for about 10 months, and they win the championship, which I think was, was awesome, over Strike Force. And while I like the Strike Force team, I love both of those guys individually. I don't know if I really cared for them as much as a team, but I think as, as wrestlers, Tito Santana and Rick Martel are two of the most underrated performers and, of, of all time. They're, they're awesome, and I'm glad that they got a, a run with, with the tag team belts. But Demolition, I mean, look, the Road Warriors are my favorite tag team of all time. But I never, even though you can say, like, okay, maybe they're a knockoff, the gimmick, the face paint, the, the, that, that whole kind of look and feel. But, man, you know, Bill Eady and, you know, Barry Darso, those guys took, those, took that team, took that concept. And, again, it's just like a DiBiase or a Honky Tonk Man. They took that concept and made it their own. They didn't, to me, I, don't, I never associated them and thought that they were ripoffs. I loved Demolition for what they were, you know, and they were different than, than the Road Warriors, even though they were a big physical team that, that kind of had a similar look and feel. Like, I just thought Demolition had, was, was, was like their own team, and I don't look at them as copycats. And, you know, again, this WrestleMania is huge because – it goes on to, to crown them for their first, I believe, of three overall uh, title runs. What do you think about Demolition yeah, man. as a team? Definitely. They, this, was, this was a big one for them because this was their first title uh, win, and they, they would hold these titles until July of the following year. So this was an epic title run for Demolition. And, and I'm with you, man. Demolition was a great, great team. I loved, loved, loved Demolition. I love their music. I love their attire. I love their moves. Uh, they were just really, really cool as a kid. I loved watching them, <clears throat> and, uh, and and I agree with you, Tito and, and Martel together. I, I tell you what, man, I, I love that song, "Girls in Cars." 
Uh, I still sing it uh, to this day sometimes <laughs> yeah. if I'm in the shower and okay. uh, I'm lonely or bored, you know. <laughs> hey, I, I guess it's a good time now, real quick, Matt. To uh, now's a good time, uh, a good segue into uh, a quick plug for our upcoming '80s Wrestling Con two on uh, Saturday, October the 26th in Freehold, New Jersey, at I Play America. Uh, Action Smash Demolition will be there. Uh, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, we just talked about him as well. He'll be there as well, along with another man we just talked about, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase with Virgil, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Bob Backlund, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the Killer Bees, the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, and more. Uh, again, it's on Saturday, October the 26th in Freehold, New Jersey. And uh, next week, right here, uh, Matt, I'm going to uh, make a couple exclusive announcements concerning 80s Wrestling Con 2. Uh, right here on the uh, radio show next Monday night before I announce it on the website or our Instagram page. So uh, that'll be a nice teaser for next week. A couple exclusive announcements for different activities and events planned for uh, 80s Wrestling Con 2 next Monday night right here on 80s Wrestling Radio. Nice, man. I like it. I like it. That's that this is hey, this is the best platform to do a tease like that, man. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. That'll that'll be great. And you know, you've got an absolutely amazing lineup, I think, coming uh coming to that show and a lot of the guys, like you said, that we're we're just talking about for this, I think there's a lot of interesting um, you know, different questions and things that kind of come out when we talk about this particular event. Um, that would be really interesting to ask some of those guys um, about uh, about WrestleMania four and their their takes on it. Um, well, hey man, I I think why don't we give out the number one more time just to see if there's anyone that wants to maybe call in and, and chat about WrestleMania four uh, before we kind of like wind down the show. The number is three two three nine two seven two nine five three. You got Matt from Squared Circle Classics and you got Tommy from Eighties Wrestling here kind of talking about WrestleMania four for a little bit longer. So Tommy, um I guess the last kind of match to kind of look at a little bit here is uh is Warrior and Hercules. And uh you know you kinda of touched on a little bit earlier that this is, you know, Warrior's first real big uh kind of a, a event. Uh, pay-per-view, so to speak, in, in, in WWF, and it's kind of interesting. I went back and I watched this match over the weekend, um, and, you know, he's still trying to find the he, – he, you can tell he's kind of in that – still in that little bit of that period where he's kind of given up the, the Dingo Warrior and trying to move into the Ultimate Warrior, um, and uh, it's still a little choppy. I mean, he runs in the ring, and he does the, the ring, uh, the rope, the rope grab and shake and all that, but – it, it lacks maybe a little bit less intensity than than what it then eventually evolved into. Um, the match only goes like I think about seven or eight minutes, but um, it ends in a really weird finish where there's a suplex, kind of a uh, like a back German suplex kind of thing that happens where um, both guys' shoulders are pinned to the mat, but I guess. Warrior was in a little bit better position, um, so he got the pin and and the victory. And it's funny to watch Bobby Heenan in this match um, afterwards because he's all incensed and kind of goes after the ref. Um, but it was kind of anticlimactic, I guess, because they didn't build a whole lot of drama to it. Because like, oh, who won? Um, but you know, it, it was uh, a little a little bit of a, a strange finish, if you ask me on this. But I guess, um, you know, what what was kind of your thoughts of, of Warriors' real, I guess, pay-per-view coming out party? 
Uh, same thing as you. I thought it was a little weird. I, I think that if this was uh, if this was his first big match, and obviously they had some what of an idea they wanted to push him. Uh, it is kind of a weird finish where he just lifts his arm up at the last second, shoulder up at the last second to to get the victory. I mean, he should have he should have beat Hercules in in you know in good fashion and and got that big win uh, over him. So yeah, I, I agree. It was a little bit of a weird finish. Um, did they did they have matches after that WrestleMania? Were they still working each other on, on house shows, or, or do you know if they were or not? Or maybe they wanted to try and keep them feud going a little bit longer until they figure out what they wanted to do with yeah, them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I can't remember um, real well if they if they did stick with that um, right right after, or if that was kind of the the end of it. I mean, it kind of made sense to put those two in a program just because they were both just physical specimens. And, um, you know, I thought Hercules, you know, he, he was one of those fun, I thought he was just one of those fun characters, you know, like um, I I thought he was a great heel. I liked him better as a heel than a face, but he didn't really have to do a whole lot. He just had to basically just come out and, you know, he did a good job of just looking chiseled and acting like he was going to beat you up. Even, even though, you know, he might lose to, to, uh, to a top guy. Um, you know, I, I, I thought like Hercules Hernandez is kind of like the quintessential mid Carter, you know what I mean? Um, never needed a title, but I think that was always a, a good guy to be like, he was obviously a stepping stone for ultimate warrior. And I thought, you know, he kind of played that role well for, you know, the up and coming faces that might've needed that, you know, that little boost. Um, you know, they always say Jake the snake was kind of that guy that was the gatekeeper to get to Hogan. You kind of had to have that program with Jake and do it well to get to Hogan. I kind of think like Hercules was also kind of like one of those heels where, you know, as you were building your, your name as a, as a, as a face to try to get over, um, you know, that you would have had to tackle him. And, you know, that's no disrespect to him. I mean, I think he was, he was, you know, he wasn't a fantastic wrestler, but he was, uh, you know, he was entertaining and I, I, great power moves and, Again, I mean, I just thought he was a he was a really fun character to have uh, at, in the company at the time, and and again, you know, as a you know a sensical uh, stepping stones uh, for a for a face that was kind of on the rise. Absolutely, man, absolutely, and and, and that pretty much sums up uh, WrestleMania four, and uh, I, I really enjoyed tonight's episode, man, and I look forward to uh, to next week. I think me and you will get together tomorrow. We'll we'll pick a couple different topics and we'll get a poll up. On uh, on our Twitter page and Facebook and, and see what we want to do, but uh, I look forward to next week's episode. It'll be another great one, and we'll do those exclusive announcements next week uh, on the show. So until next week, uh, thank you very much, man. It was great talking to you, and I look forward to next week's episode of Eighties Wrestling Radio.